This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. All right, so I saw a statistic this week from Andrew Womack uh, that only about 15% of people who claim to accept Jesus continue in their faith. Isn't that crazy? 15%. And why is that? Why would only 15% claim to accept Jesus and only continue, and that small amount continue to walk out the faith? Well, I think it's because conversion is a one-time experience. And discipleship is a lifelong journey. And so today I want to talk to you about the difference between discipleship and evangelism. And uh, so that's, I have three main things I want to cover. One is the difference between discipleship and evangelism. Uh, second, raising children. And this can be physical children. It can also be spiritual children. When we're talking about discipleship, I believe we're going to be focusing more on uh, spiritual children. And then transferring authority, lastly. We want to be able to, once a child is mature in the faith, we want to be able to transfer them authority. When Jesus had trained up his disciples, before he left, he gave them a commission. And he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he transferred that to his mature adult believers now. And he asked them to carry on uh, what he had started. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, that we want to raise up, mature spiritual children, and then release them with authority to go and carry on the work of the kingdom. And so uh, the difference between evangelism and discipleship, well, I think it comes down to, are they just converts or are they living out of faith? And evangelism brings about a new birth. And uh, Pam, who uh, is here, was here, Pam Beeler, she helps to lead a um, pregnancy center that um, shows people who are pregnant, it's a crisis pregnancy center, um, they're considering what options they may have, they might be an unwanted pregnancy, and uh, so they show the mother an ultrasound and show them that there's actually a child living inside of them. And somebody in that position, or I actually love babies. I love holding babies. Um, Ingrid has asked me on a couple occasions, can we get a dog? And I say, let's just have another kid. And so now we have four children. (laughs) And so I love babies. But imagine somebody like that who works in a crisis pregnancy center or me, um, let's just have another baby. And and, and you have the baby and it's so amazing. and, And that's an amazing baby. And now we say, let's go get another one. And what do we do with this one? Well, let's just put it over here in this pile or, you know, let it fend for itself. I mean, it, it, it's born, so obviously it's human. It's going to grow up, right? Well, babies need love. They don't grow up on their own. And spiritual babies need love. They need encouragement. They need nurturing. They need to be shown what to do. And so we need to do that for them, and that's called discipleship. Evangelism can make a lot of little babies, but we need to actually care for them as well. We have a lot of men in this nation and in our culture that are not fathers. They might have children, but they're not fathers. And with discipleship, we need men and women to be fathers and mothers, to be present and to raise. 
we need them to have spiritual children, and those children might not even be their own. Fortunately, I have four children in my house, and I do have four that we get to sow into every single day, which is exciting and fun and rewarding and challenging. But you can also not even have physical children and have spiritual children. God made a way for that to happen. And so that's discipleship. Has anybody ever heard of the fivefold ministry? Okay. So we have apostles, prophets, apostles set things in order, prophets hear and see the word of God, evangelists who proclaim the word. You know, we typically think of evangelists who are out there getting people saved. Shepherds, which if you actually look in the Greek, it's shepherds. We call it pastors. But where you see shepherd in the Bible, Steve just showed me this last week on Sunday, it's always talking about a shepherd or Jesus, who is the good shepherd. But it's always talking about a shepherd. It's not actually talking about a position in a church. And so it's interesting that that's how God sees leaders, that they need to be looking after the flock, caring for, laying down their life for, not in a paid position where I'm above or something like that. And then lastly, we have teachers, people who teach the word of God. So all five of these things help us to do what? Disciple. So evangelism is a part of discipleship. It's not a replacement for discipleship. Does that make sense? We have these five gifts that are given to the church to equip the saints, to raise people up. And it's not enough just to go around making spiritual babies. We actually have to raise them up. So there's two verses I want to look at today. A few more, actually, but two right now. One is Genesis 28. Or sorry, Genesis 1, verse 28. And in that verse, you're probably familiar with it. This is at the end of the creation account. Uh, does anybody know there's two creation accounts in Genesis? Douglas knows. The first one is the physical creation. The second one is the spiritual. Very good. So first we have the physical, then we have the spiritual. In, in the Bible. And so this is at the end of the physical creation account. And it says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's how we read it in the English. And be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, sounds like fill the earth, right? Uh, have fruit. And so we have to define what those things mean. Well, at the end of Matthew, the first gospel, Jesus says something similar but it's really more in a spiritual sense. He says, make disciples, baptize them into the family, and teach them to observe all that I, Jesus, have commanded you. So we have Genesis 1.28 up there, great. Um, do we have Matthew? Excellent. So Basically, it's go therefore into all the world. All authority on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow everything I've commanded you. So we are to teach people to follow. That's the same thing as discipleship. Discipleship and teaching is very, very, very similar. A disciple is somebody who decides to be a student. They commit to being a student. A convert doesn't necessarily have to commit to being a student. They just have to believe the word of God. And that's true. They, it, once they believe the word of God, they are a new creation. But to be a disciple, you have to commit and follow and actually um, want 
to learn to follow the commands of Jesus. So should we teach them all things or should we just get them saved? It seems like in the church in America, a lot of people have substituted discipleship with conversion. And they just want to see people get saved. And then it's up to somebody else, maybe, to, to raise them and train them. Um, do we just really want people to claim that they're Christians? Or do we want them to actually live a certain way? Do we want them to actually, yeah, carry themselves in a certain way because of what they believe? Um, not just a claim. People who claim Je uh, Jesus but live contrary, uh, they turn off the gospel. And so the other people who would be saved, they're turned off to that gospel because they see people who claim Jesus but don't live according to what they say they believe. And so we need to be consistent in order to make it attractive to people to want to come into the faith. So I wanted to show the, the similarities between these two verses. Uh, they both, Gen Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply, and go into all the world baptizing and teaching them. They both call us to increase. In the first sense, increase your population, increase your numbers, increase your authority. And in the second one, increase your spiritual man. Increase your faith. Increase your authority in the kingdom. The first one sounds a bit more like evangelism, be fruitful and multiply. But the second one sounds more like discipleship. Or does it? So in Genesis 1.28, I did some pretty deep study this week. And I looked up the Strong's numbers of a few of these verses. And so be fruitful in the Strong's concordance is H, which stands for Hebrew, 6509, which is the word para, which means to bear or bring forth, to have children. Now this, in a spiritual sense, is evangelism. In the physical sense, you're, you're actually bearing a child. You are bringing forth fruit. Okay, so be fruitful. Well, doesn't that sound the same as multiply? Why do you need to say both be fruitful and multiply? Aren't they the same thing? Well, the word for multiply is Strong's H7235, Rava, which is to increase, to be an authority, to bring up, to grow up, and nourish. This is to raise them, to actually disciple them. So the first one is have children, be fruitful. The second one is raise them. God doesn't say just have children and let them fill the earth. He says have children and teach them how they should act. Teach them how to walk in my ways. Teach them how to follow what they should do and how to live. So have children and raise them. Then he goes in further and he says, fill and replenish wholly the earth. So replenish. As they die, replenish. Have more. Fill completely. I want a complete, full world. The earth. And subdue it. Which means conquer, keep things under you, bring the world into subjection under you. So does that mean that we are to be um, blown around by the world? Or are we supposed to decide where we are and keep that below us? So if we start feeling a certain way contrary to what the word says, we need to believe God's word and keep our emotions beneath us. Command ourselves to follow what Jesus says. Command ourselves to follow what the Bible says. And then finally it says, have dominion. 
This is rada, which means to reign, overtake, or rule. So not only are we supposed to keep everything beneath us, but we are to take dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds, the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's just physically, because that's the physical account. This translates spiritually as well. We're supposed to have spiritual authority. Now, Vernon has been hosting a great study at his home, and I joined late but caught up, and it's, uh, it's been awesome. I've been learning about the, the government of the kingdom versus the government of the world, and how Adam was born with, under the government of the kingdom, under the government of heaven, but he abdicated it. He committed treason against God, and he lost all of that spiritual authority. Now, God gave him physical authority. We still have physical authority over plants, animals, birds, all those things. But we've lost our spiritual authority in the fall. Well, God allowed a door to be opened through a man. And it started with Abraham. Abraham believed God. It was counted to his, him as righteousness. And for Abraham and his seed, it opened this door of the kingdom back up on the earth. But it was only for his seed. Well, then, eventually, out of Abraham's seed comes Jesus, and he opens it up for all of us. And now, Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, partners with us to bring his kingdom on earth. But he doesn't do it on his own. Why? Because he doesn't have authority on the earth. Does that make sense? He had it, but it was given up. And now it's like we're tenants in a rented house. And if I own a house and I lease it out to somebody else, let's say Thomas, I can't just go over to Thomas's house whenever I want, even though it's my house. I have to let him know 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever the lease says in advance and say, I'm going to come over there and fix your toilet or I'm going to take a look and make sure everything's being kept up okay, or I'm going to come over and mow your lawn or whatever. I have limited authority, and that's what Jesus did. That's what God did. When he created the world, he gave it. He gave us authority and dominion over it, and after that, now we're the tenants, and now he doesn't have that authority unless we invite him in. That's the only way. If Thomas says, no, come on over. You can come on over. Be in my house. Be in your house, whatever. We'll be here together and we have a dinner together. Now I can do that. I can't just walk in there and start cooking myself lunch and going through his refrigerator, even though it's my refrigerator. Does that make sense? And so Jesus comes in and the kingdom only works in the world if it comes through a human because of how the authority is set up. So when it says have dominion, rada, reign, overtake, rule, over the fish of the sea and the birds and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, that actually has to happen for God to have authority. Does that make sense? We need to partner with heaven for him to be able to do what he wants to do on the earth because he's given it to us. Jesus even told a parable of tenants on the earth. You may remember it. And he talks about how the tenants hated the master and he'd send the prophets and they'd kill them and he'd send other people, and they wouldn't listen. And finally, the owner said, I'm going to send my son. They'll listen to him. But when they see him, they say, oh, he's the heir. Let's kill him and take it. Isn't that what Satan always wants to do? 
he always wants to take what's not his. He wants to take that earthly realm from God, from us. But Jesus sent his son and cleared the way. He got rid of those tenants, and that's coming prophetically at the end. And he's going to reclaim what's his on the earth, under the new heaven and the new earth. So in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, I think the point here is have spiritual children, disciple them, teach them all things that I've commanded you, and raise them. I heard a great story the other day. Last night, actually, I was watching something from Andrew Womack, after I'd put my message together, by the way. This is not Andrew's message. Um, but I thought it was awesome. Don Crow helped him write his uh, Bible school, Karis Curriculum, and it was talking about evangelism and discipleship. And Don went house to house, and instead of saying, would you like to accept Jesus, yes or no, you know, if you don't, you're going to hell, you know, the, kind of what we all hear before, <laughs> or what we don't want to do, you know, with evangelism, what he said instead was, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do for you? And a lot of people are, you know, no, of course not, whatever. But some people said, yeah, you know, my back's really hurting, and I'm out of work because I can't work, and I'm on these pain meds. And so with this guy, he actually came in, and he opened up the word, and he said, would you like to hear what, what the Bible has to say about healing? And he did want to hear. And so they sat there for an hour in this guy's living room, going through what the Bible says about healing. And he said, if you'd like, I'll come back next week. And the guy invited him back the next week. The third week, they were reading through the, the parable of the prodigal son. And they got to the point where the son is in the pig pen, and he's thinking about going back to his dad. And he's like, I'll just be a hired servant in his house. This is what he's thinking. So Don Crow asked this man he was ministering to, so what do you think, what do you think the father's going to do? And he said, from his own experience, I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to reject him. He's going to say, get the heck out of here. I don't know you. I don't want anything to do with you. And he said, well, let's read. And he said, while the son was a long way off, the father saw him. He ran to him. He kissed him. He put a new robe on him. He put a ring on him. He killed the fattened calf. He said, this is my son. He was dead. Now he's alive. He gave him the best seat at the table. And this guy's like, what? Are you saying that if I come back to God, that's how he'll treat me? And instead of saying yes or no, he said, well, let's see what it says. So they read it again. And the third time they read it, this guy got on the floor, weeping, gave his life to the Lord. Now, what happened? Did he come to the Lord first, or was he discipled first? He was discipled for three weeks before he came to the Lord. And I think so often, our focus is on that conversion prayer, a formulaic, just say this. Well, I don't believe that. Well, just say it, and you'll be saved. You know? No. You have to believe in your heart. And you only can do that because the gospel tells us to live in a way that's impossible for us. If somebody slaps you across the face, how many of us, especially guys, are just going to turn the other cheek? It's not going to happen unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many of us, I mean, there's so many things in the word that we are commanded to do. Love your enemies. How are you going to do that? You can't. The only way is through the Spirit. And so if you're being discipled 
And at some point, you come across one of these impossibilities. You say, Father God, I need your help. I can't do this alone. And that's when a true relationship takes place. That true salvation, that new birth, that, cre that recreation. And that is enough to last a lifetime. That starts a discipleship journey that lasts. Jesus said, I pray that they would have fruit that lasts. If we're getting people to say prayers, we might see some fruit, but is it lasting? There's a statistic I shared at the beginning that says that only 15% of the time it actually does. And so we need to do it differently if we're going to see our fruit remain. Steve Owings, pastor of our local church, says that it's easier to evangelize than to disciple. I see what he means. Raising adults, because we're not just raising children, we're raising adults, that requires a lot more time and focused attention than just scattering some seed. We need to know and understand people. We need to be able to speak into their lives. We need to be able to look into a person and call out the gold that they have inside of them. And that only happens through relationship. It only happens through time. So how do we bring forth spiritual children? So there's the parable of the sower, and this is in three different gospels. It's in Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4. And essentially, the word of God is seed. The word of God is sown into the, into the earth, and it's planted into somebody's heart. That's the soil. The original sower was the son of man. And really, anytime you hear a word from heaven, it has to come from heaven to be implanted in your heart. And when you receive that word from heaven, it can be nurtured and birthed. It can go into good soil. Hopefully it does. Um, the hearer, uh, the heart of the hearer then receives that. And we don't know how it grows, just like um, in, in another scripture where actually maybe it's in this one, where the, the word is sown and it's watered and it receives sunlight, but we don't know how it grows. God makes it grow. Well, one sows and another one receives, okay? So there's two roles here, a sower and a receiver. Do you know this happens in every area of life? If you're having a conversation with somebody, there's one person who's speaking, that's like the seed, the other person who is receiving, and then the roles flip. And now, there's somebody who's speaking, maybe the person who was just receiving, and the other person is receiving. Okay, so there's this, this sowing and this receiving. That's how we come up with ideas. It's how we come up with a plan. It's how we come up with a child, right? We sow and we receive. It's also how we birth words from heaven. God makes it grow. So what if we came across somebody like Don Crow did when he was walking door to door asking people, what are your needs? How can I help you with your needs? What if we came across somebody who is having difficulty in their marriage? Maybe a coworker, maybe somebody that you know is having difficulty with their finances, with their health, maybe with a family issue. What if we just asked them, would you like to hear what the Bible has to say about that? If you're going to ask that question, what do you first need to know? What the Bible has to say about that? <laughs> and so we need to first teach ourselves and then be able to teach others. What if we started first with needs and ministered God's word to them in their need? 
rather than telling them what we think they need. We can sow spiritual seed from the word of God. And that word can be implanted into their hearts. And as they receive it, God can make it grow in their life. And eventually, they'll want to hear Jesus, the one who met their needs. So how are we born again? The way that we're born again is through a belief. We believe the word of God. We believe that God can save us. We believe in him for salvation. We confess him as Lord of our life. And we're baptized as a seal that's placed on us. Now, the thief on the cross, Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He believed and he confessed. He wasn't baptized. So it's not a formula. But I believe that if this guy had another day, he would probably want to be baptized and he would probably want to then follow the Lord. It's just he was out of time. And so our heart has to be positioned toward God in order to truly be born again. So then how do we raise uh, children into adults? By example, we do what is important and we teach them what is important. So we have to first do it and then we have to teach it. This is why we're doing what we're doing, okay? We then also have to hold them accountable. Okay, so I've showed you what's important, now you need to do it. And when they don't do it right, we try again and we help them up when they fall. And we ask God to work on their hearts and we work on their hearts. We try to make sure that the motives are proper rather than just the behavior. Um, there, was a <laughs> there was a story I heard about a little boy who was being punished and his mom was like, um, sit down. And he just stand up, sit down, stand up. And so then he finally sits down. I'm sitting physically, but in my heart I'm standing. Right? We want the heart. We don't just want the behavior. And we need to ask questions. We need to make sure that they're absorbing whoever it is that we're training up. And when we mess up, when we're not a good example, when we do the wrong thing, as inevitably we will, we need to ask forgiveness. And that's an opportunity for us to model how to ask forgiveness. That becomes an example, that becomes a teaching moment, that becomes something hopefully that they can grab as well. And so that's how we're raised as children. We're discipled in the same way. Discipleship requires a commitment from the student and the teacher, both. And the teacher then becomes the sower and the student becomes the receiver most of the time. But of course there's a dialogue and so this can happen, but we're growing together. And a follower or a disciple of Jesus should be for life. It shouldn't just be this year and then it's over next year. We are called and chosen just like the 12 that Jesus called and chose in his earthly ministry. So how do we make disciples? We share our lives together. It requires us to be real and authentic and non, not judgmental. When somebody has a problem or you see a behavior you don't like, rather than turning it into a moral lesson for them, we can ask, you know, we can show, we can have love um, and be real. We need to be empowered and positioned by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And by asking, by asking. So often, we'll just say, oh, I know what to do here, and we'll just do it. But what if we ask first? 
then we allow God to speak to us. We allow that word to be implanted in our heart. We allow God then to do something that we know he wants to do. And if we hear it from him, we can have faith that he's going to do it. It relieves pressure from us if we're leaning on the Holy Spirit. Relieves that pressure to perform. There's a natural and an organic process that we need to take. We should treat others as if they already believe in Jesus. Would you like to know what the Bible says about that? You know, whatever it is. So one way to do that, you have to have time. So you have to schedule time in a lot of us. You know, maybe it's you have one of those really open schedules where, you know, what are we going to do today? Oh, I don't know. You might not need to schedule that time. <laughs> but for a lot of us in this room, we know I only have a window from 1230 to 1. But let's be intentional about that window. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's have a coffee. Let's get together with somebody and spend that time actually discipling people. The way we can disciple is through serving people. Take care of their kids. We can host a meal. Uh, during the winter, you can shovel a driveway of a neighbor. You could rake their leaves. You could find other ways to serve them. Praying with them. Asking them, would you like to know what the Bible has to say about that? And like I said before, we must first teach ourselves before we can teach somebody else. There's three scriptures in Deuteronomy that actually say this. Jesus says it, or the, the word of God says it three times in one book, which when you say something twice, it's important. When you say things three times, when God says it three times, he really wants you to get it. Okay, so in Deuteronomy 4.9, it says, only give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. So it says here, give heed to yourself, keep your soul diligently, you don't forget, and then teach them to your sons and your grandsons. So it's not enough just to teach your sons. Teach their sons and daughters too. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. What does that mean? When you're working and doing things with your hands, do them in a way that's in line with God's word. You should, and mine, uh, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. I mean, they didn't have glasses. Benjamin Franklin, remember? He, he invented bifocals. So I'm thinking these Israelites wandering around in the desert, they don't have these glasses. So he says, put a frontlet between your eyes. It's like lenses. Everything you do, see through the lens of the Holy Spirit. See through the lens of Scripture. And they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall see everything through these lenses. And you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what does that say? Every time you walk in or out, remember these things. Every time you look at somebody, remember these things. Every time you do something with your hands, remember these things. First teach them to yourself, then teach them to your sons and your grandsons. I mean, it's pretty clear. Then Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21, you shall therefore, therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand. They'll be frontlets between your eyes, lenses. You shall teach them to your children, talking to them when you're sitting in the house, when you're lying down, when you're walking by the way, when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. So how long do we need to do this? As long as the heavens are above the earth. That means we're always to do these things. And so all three of these verses say, first, you teach yourself, internalize these acts, these words and these commands from God for yourself, do them yourself, and then teach them to your sons, your daughters, your grandsons, your granddaughters. So how do we open up our lives? How should we be vulnerable and be real with people? Well, you're, if you're going to be here next week, you are fortunate you're going to be able to hear Lane talk about that. <laughs> so he's going to have more uh, for that, more uh, on how to open up our lives, how to be vulnerable with people, and how to be real when sharing Christ in your life. Uh, so what is the church's role in discipleship? Discipleship is raising children. It's key. Evangelism is making children. It's a part of discipleship. It is not discipleship. We are called directly by Jesus to make disciples. The fivefold ministry is given to equip the dis and disciple the saints, and evangelism is one of those five. It's not the full thing. So I wanted to show you a few examples from Scripture where Paul had spiritual sons. And these sons actually grew up and they became co-workers and friends. Just like Jesus had disciples. And in the garden, right before his death, he says, I now call you friends. They've matured over a period of time. So 1 Timothy 2, or sorry, 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, it says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Paul is calling Timothy his true child in the faith, a spiritual son. In that same, uh, actually in 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, he says, to Timothy, my beloved son. Not only are you my true son in the faith, I love you as a son. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 14, he says, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you, my beloved children. So he's writing to an entire church here, saying, you guys are my children. For if you have countless uh, tutors in Christ, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. So we can have a lot of people telling us stuff, but we don't necessarily have a lot of fathers. And a father's different. A father is there with that person's best interest in mind. A teacher might be there because it's their job. A father cares about you. Um, so he says, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in G Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So Paul says, this is like a father-child relationship. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Why? Because Paul has taught these things to himself. And then he's modeled them. He's shown them by example. And now he says, I want you to do what I do. I want you to follow what my example Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He's like, Timothy has my heart so much, I can send him to you, and I know he's going to treat you properly because he's really caught this. Then in Philippians 2, 19 to 24, Paul writes again, and he says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy 
to you shortly, a true son, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, because I know he's going to report properly to me. They didn't have phones and emails and Zoom back then, so they needed to send somebody and receive a report. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I know Timothy is going to care for you, for your welfare, not just his own self. For they all seek after their own interests. He's talking about other workers in the gospel, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming to you shortly. So I can't get to you right now, guys, but I'm going to do my second best. I'm going to send my true son in the faith, Timothy, who I know is going to care about you the way I care about you. He's not like these other guys who are just looking after their own interests, asking for two offerings instead of one. He's the guy who's going to come to you and really care about you. And then Titus 1, verse 4, Paul writes to Titus, my true child in a common faith. So Paul had many spiritual children, and some shined, like Timothy. Paul took responsibility for Timothy and Titus, and he actually called Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, he calls him my, fellow, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. That's good. We need brothers and fellow workers and fellow soldiers, but it's not a son in the faith, right? Later, in 1 Thessalonians 3.2, Paul wrote, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. So now, in Thessalonians, this is a later epistle, he's writing to, to the Thessalonian church saying, I sent Timothy. This time he doesn't call him my son. He calls him God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. And in Romans, which is one of his final epistles, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Do you see the progression there? First, he's writing to Timothy, and he's being a father to him. If you read those letters, it's the kind of instruction a child would receive from their father to become better, to do the, the task that's set before them. But later on, he's talking about these guys as they've got it, and they're workers with me. And we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And one day, we want to be able to say that about our kids, that they're our friends, they're our fellow workers in the faith. They grow up to be our friends and fellow workers. It takes years of teaching and working together and investing in relationship. Once the disciples were spiritual adults, Jesus then transferred full authority to them to carry on the mission. Jesus first was the example. So I wanted to tell you a few stories about me being a spiritual son and um, trying to meet other people's needs through discipleship. So since coming to this church in January of 2006, it's a while ago, January 2006, Steve and Christy have been like spiritual parents to anger to me. It's been awesome. Uh, God knitted our hearts together, and uh, they poured over us for years. They poured into us. They also led us by example, and they've exposed us to their mentors and their friends. They haven't withhold, withheld that stuff. Uh, they have advised us personally on various life issues in our lives. Uh, they've given us food. We used to live uh, near Aurora, um, right on Alameda and Havana, and their church was in 
um, at the Ramada at uh, 120th and I-25, which is now the Delta Hotel. And then they lived in F Frederick or Firestone, depending on the year. Um, so when we were trying to go to the church, it was 45 minutes to get there <laughs> in the morning. And one time I remember I was driving and it was like raining and turning to ice. And this guy had flipped around and was in the median facing me and I lost control of the car. And instead of hitting that guy, I rear-ended somebody. And so my um, insurance said it was my fault, whereas if I would have hit the guy going the wrong way on the road, it would have been his fault. But anyway, after enough of that, traveling 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back on Sunday mornings, we just asked, can we just stay with you guys? Let, like, let's get together Saturday night, we'll sleep at your place, and then we'll go to church on Sunday. And so they offered us food and shelter. They brought us in, we played games together, we would hang out, we'd pray together. And so, um, I mean, it was a different time. We didn't have all of this. It was, it was a pretty small group, <laughs> as Mona can attest. Uh, but um, they have fostered our faith in so many ways, in addition to just meeting basic needs, food, shelter. I, I owned a rental house one time in um, Aurora, and I couldn't get there to, I don't think I even had a lawnmower. And the lawn needed mowed, and Christy's like, oh, I'll go mow it. And so she went and she mowed my lawn for me in Aurora. <laughs> and like she opened up the, the shed and there was a homeless guy in there. And she's like, ah, so she left. <laughs> and so um, they've let me borrow vehicles when I've needed stuff. I mean, they have met so many of our needs. It's been amazing. And um, they fostered our growth by allowing us to lead the youth. We led the youth for maybe a year, as long as we could. <laughs> <laughs> until it was hard for us to do that anymore. Um, they had, I, I led music for two years uh, from guitar. I didn't even play guitar when I came to this church. Um, let's see, they've shared the pulpit, and they've asked us to serve on team with them. We've traveled to Thailand together. Uh, they've sent us to Honduras instead of them going. They needed somebody to go there, and so they're like, hey, we'll send Joel and Ingrid. It's kind of like Paul sending Timothy. And... They've taken our daughter to Texas to minister with them. Christy takes uh, Abigail out and speaks directly to her, disciples her in various areas as she approaches adulthood. It's just awesome. They embody in our lives the scriptures from Deuteronomy to teach first yourself and then teach your sons and your grandsons. So they're not only teaching Ingrid and me, they're teaching our kids. It's pretty awesome. Lane recently said on a elder call that we were having that Ingrid and I are unique. And I don't know what he meant by that, but uh, one thing he said about that was that uh, there's a lot of people who go and help a church plant, but they don't stick around from however many years this is, 2006 to 20, 2022. They, they, they're there for a year, two, three, and then they move on. And so um, what if Ingrid and I had left? It was a question at one point. How long are we going to be in Denver? Are we thinking we might want to go to another state? Uh, Ingrid's family lives in Canada. Do you think you'd ever want to live up there, get our kids citizenship? You know, We could have left, but how many blessings would we have missed out on by uprooting our family and ourselves from these relationships? You know, I mean, you don't know what you have sometimes until you take inventory of what God has given you through relationships and... Um, where you're planted. We have grown so much by being sons in the faith 
and being brothers and fellow workers and fellow soldiers, like Paul talked about with his team. So now I'm a father to my children. As I mentioned, we have four. Uh, they range in age from 13 to two and a half. And they are teaching me how to be a father. And I intend to put those skills to use in the church. A father speaks to his children in love. Uh, this does not always mean a warm or a soft tone. Sometimes it means correction, what they need. And Mona recently asked me to review a video message of hers uh, that she had given. And she had never asked me to do that before. And I wasn't really sure what she was asking until I asked her, um, what is it exactly that you want? And as she explained to me, well, you know, I kind of want you to go through my message and tell me where I can improve. And as I listened to her, I was like, so, so really you kind of want me to look at this like a father and give you some tough love and share with you where you need a little bit of help and improvement and you promise you won't be mad? <laughs> and she said no. And so I, I actually spent a lot of time doing that. Um, one thing she said as a teacher, uh, they said um, sometimes they would have other teachers review their work. And she said they would do a grow and a glow. And she says, I'm okay if you give me two grows and a glow. <laughs> and so she really wanted some honest feedback. And so uh, I spent over three different days, um, hours, going through her message, getting a transcription of it, going through like really detailed. And it was because I had her best interest in mind. It wasn't because I was making any money from it. I wasn't. It wasn't because I didn't have other things to do. I did. But I felt like this was important, and she had asked me specifically, and this was an opportunity to help disciple somebody in the faith. Um, and it was probably more practical, like from speaking, but I mean, also doctrinally and some different things. It was good. And she said it was exactly what she was hoping to receive. And so thank you, Mona, for the opportunity. I also, um, let's see, uh, following the passing of Hillary's husband, Gary, I had the opportunity to assist Hillary with a few things. Now, this is just starting with, what do you need? And then trying to meet that need. It doesn't have to be, well, I really want you to take you through Matthew. And I really want you to understand the Hebrew behind these words in Genesis. It's, it doesn't have to be that. It starts with, what do you need? And Hillary needed some help with a couple things. And so I took some time up front to understand the best I could, what needs do you have? And then how could I help you with that? We outlined a way forward and we followed up pretty regularly for a few months until new habits were formed. And less help has been needed because she's been able to grow into that. And I'm still available for her if she needs more. Um, but that's what we need to do. We need to look at what does somebody need and then come together on an agreement and a plan and see it through. See it through. Landon came to work with me. You guys might know Landon. He sometimes plays guitar up here and does the announcements um, on certain days. So Landon came to work with me last year in June. So he's worked with me for a full year. And I've gotten to know him pretty well over that time. And one thing I could see that I could offer him as I was asking God, what, what needs does Landon have that I could help him with? And he's a pretty competent guy. I mean, he's a Christian, he's a believer, he knows the word. Um, he's, he has a lot of good things going for him. By the way, ladies, he's single. Um, and so <laughs> I, could, uh, I saw that one thing I could do was to offer him some career advice. 
And that's a little weird coming from an employer. Like, you know, what, what do you want me out? You know? <laughs> but I could tell, like, he's not going to be with me forever. And this is something that I've actually have some pretty decent experience in, and at least more than he did. And maybe I can help him in some way. So I actually asked him one day. I was like, Landon, I feel like I kind of need to mentor you in a certain area. Are you open to that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, some things I think I can help you with are like interviewing skills, putting together a resume, putting your best foot forward, you know, those kinds of things. I know that you're probably not going to be here forever. If you want to be great, the door's open to you. But if you decide you'd like to move on, um, I want to help you. And so we started talking about that. Uh, we went through some different methods for interviewing. We did a couple, you know, mocks, like role-playing kind of things. Uh, and then I asked him what kind of role he'd like to have. Um, actually, he came to me. He said, well, I got a call from my sister's, uh, I think from like his brother-in-law or something like that. He'd like to help me get a job in Austin. Uh, but I'm not sure about that. And then I was thinking about talking to my uncle. He works for a government contractor, and that'd be pretty cool. And I said, well, do you, I, work in, I worked in banking for a lot of years. I know people there. Do you want me to make a couple calls for you? He's like, sure, sounds great. So I said, okay. So I got him a, a phone call with a private banker in Boulder. I got him a phone call with a branch manager who could actually hire him in um, Broomfield. And it just so happened, uh, two weeks after I called this branch manager, he had an opening. He'd had a full-time teller, or they call him an associate banker, who had been promoted. And so now this person was vacating and they were going to have an open spot. It's pretty rare for somebody who's never been in banking to come in as a full-time person from day one. And he was able to meet this guy. I, vouched, I talked very highly of Landon, honestly. I mean, it wasn't like I was making stuff up. Um, and I wouldn't have given him a referral if I didn't believe in Landon. Um, but they were able to meet, and uh, it was before the job was even posted. And then he said, hey, we're going to post this position. I'd really like for you to apply for it. And so I said, Landon, you need to follow up with him. Make sure, like, don't just put in your application and, and think you did your part. Like, call him. Make sure he got it. See if you can talk to the recruiter. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so he didn't know any of that stuff. He had actually applied for a credit union job before where he'd put in a, a, an application and never heard from him. And I said, that's because they didn't know you applied. Like, there's all these people running interference. They're, they're trying to find a reason that you don't work. <laughs> if, you're the, if you're the guy, you have to make sure they know you applied. And so um, I helped him tailor his resume to the job. We looked at the actual job description. We put together his experience in ways that it meets exactly what they're looking for. And then I said, now, this is going to set you apart. You probably don't have to do this in this role, but a cover letter is going to make you look different than anybody else. And so he actually did that, too. When this recruiter called him, he's like, you are by far the best candidate we have. He's never worked in banking, right? Like all these other people could have had that job, but they didn't put him, themselves forward. Now, another thing happened too behind the scenes. Landon had received um, a, a very nice tip. He was a, uh, a server. And one of the things he wanted to do was not have to work two jobs and meet all of his needs. Um, and this job, if he got it, would meet all of his needs financially. He wouldn't have to work two jobs. And so he got this great tip, and he said, I don't know what I want to do with this tip. But he'd heard a little bit about sowing and reaping from Vernon's message. And he said, I think I'm going to sow this. And he sowed it. I don't know where he sowed it. He didn't tell me that. But he said, I feel like this job that he was just offered, at the very top of the pay range, there was about a $5 difference from the low to the top. He got the top with no experience, coming in as a full-time position with 
uh, paid vacation, uh, if he wants it, tuition reimbursement, um, all sorts of benefits. Uh, this is enough money for him to live without working two jobs and probably more. He'd have the opportunity to have a retirement account, he, like all sorts of great things. And career opportunity in the future. It only goes up from here. So even if he didn't get that job, he also now has all these skills that he's learned for you know, getting hired, the hiring process, interviewing, all that stuff. It was a need he had. It wasn't even right out of the Bible, but it was a way that I could help a fellow brother disciple him into an area where he can grow, right? And he's going to be able to contribute more for his family, you know, in all different areas. So what we covered today, we talked about the difference between evangelism and discipleship. We talked about raising children, which is like discipleship. We then talked about once our children are mature, we transfer authority to them and we call them to go do what we just taught them. Be the example, raise other children, disciple other people. Jesus didn't tell us to go make converts. He told us to make disciples. And so I want to give you a call to action. If everybody could please stand up. Um, wanted to give you, if you'd like, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to think of one to two people in your life. Just one to two people. Because if you think of 50, you can't disciple that many kids. But one to two, you might be able to do that. So think of one to two people you know who are in a difficult spot right now. They might be having some family issues. They might be having some marriage problems. They might be having some financial difficulty. Maybe some struggles in their health. Maybe they're dealing with depression or anxiety. This might be somebody you know from work. Might be somebody you know from the church, from your family, a friend of yours. Could be from anywhere. But if you can identify that person who you know has a legitimate need, then you can pray and ask God if he will give you an open door to share with this person. It's important to pray because we have to receive that word from heaven for that to be something we can have faith in because then we know God can do it. So let's pray for that person that God will give you an open door to share with this person. While you're sharing, you want to pray for that strategy and God's favor in sharing God's word with them. Then you get prepared. Okay, if it's a financial issue, what does the Bible have to say about finances? Get to know it. What does the Bible say? Know where to find those scriptures. Because you have to first teach yourself before you can teach somebody else. And then, after you've prayed up, after you've identified the need, after you've reviewed what God's word says about that need, go to that person and say, you know, listen first, listen to their need. And then ask, would you like to hear what God's word says about that issue? Now they can say no. They have to say yes for them to commit to that type of discipleship. It's okay if they say no. You know that's not who, who or maybe not now. But if they say yes, you gotta be prepared to be able to share what God's word says. So let's open the Bible together. Let's read through what God's word says. And now it's not you telling them, it's God telling them. It's the word of God being implanted in their heart. Then we can pray with the person and pray for the person and then follow up. Maybe a week later, maybe a few days later, the next time you see them, how's that going? Is there anything more I can do? 
That is the beginning of a discipleship journey. Your work's not over. It then takes continual pouring. So this is a commitment to raise a child, a spiritual child. Jesus did it in three years. So it doesn't have to be 18 years like we do with our kids or 25 or 35, <laughs> depending on how long they stay. But uh, it, it can happen quickly in the spiritual, but it is a commitment. And so I wanna pray for you. Father God, I pray that you would illuminate the people in our hearts and our minds that we can disciple, the people that you have for us to disciple, those that you have prepared for us. And Father God, I pray that you would help us to discern what is the need? What does your word say about that? And how can we help meet those needs? Father, I pray that you would help us to learn your word well enough to be able to share it. Learn your word well enough to live it so we can be an example. And that we would have the willingness, Lord, to train up sons and grandsons in the faith. Because Father, the payoff is so huge. That's true riches. So Father, as we go, help us to know who it is that you have for us to touch. And I pray your favor and your presence to go with each and every one of these people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, we invite you to check out our website or feel free to download the Church Center app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We love you, God bless you, and thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder.